0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Here we come today to our time together for the reading of God's Word. And I've got to tell you that that I really wrestled with what to do this morning, uh, considering that uh, we've had a, uh, quite a week in our nation, have we not? And it is... It is just mind-blowing to what we have seen. Some of you that have been around the block a little bit uh, have seen these types of actions before. I'm referencing to storming the Capitol. And uh, when I look at what's happening, there's right and wrong on both sides. And as I prayed for God to give me a message for today, he basically said, Look, the reason that we're in the mess we're in is because our world, our nation, our people, and our church have lost their way. They have become aligned with political parties and, and actions rather than God himself. So we're going to forge ahead and we're going to pray for our nation at the concluding of the service. But also we are going to continue to read God's word and see why we need to be obedient and follow him in these days. And regardless of the power that one may assume they have over their lives and other people, The truth of the matter is, is that all power stems from God's hands. President Trump can do nothing more than what God allows. Nancy Pelosi can do nothing more than what God allows. Joe Biden can do nothing more than what God allows. And you, in your own life, can do nothing more than God allows. And sometimes he allows us to do things that will bless us. And sometimes he allows us to do things that judge us. But we know this, that the only one worthy enough... To open the scroll that is in God's right hand, which we're going to read about this morning, is Jesus Christ himself. So in these days of turmoil, my friend, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I must remember that God holds everything in his hand. He has a plan, and there are choices that we can make today that will impact our eternity. Now, this may not sound very deep to you when I say this, but... Chapter five of Revelation is very significant because it follows chapter four. All right. And the reason is, is that if you were watching like any of you ever know what binge watching is, like where you will waste like five hours of a day watching an episode or a whole series on Netflix. Not that I ever did that. But the thing is, is that you you get to the end of the episode and it just automatically goes to the next one. And that's what we're seeing here today. We are, we are binge reading Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 because in Revelation 4 it's centered around the throne of God and how everything in John's vision of heaven centered around the throne of God. And now we move to the scroll. And so let's jump right in. Number one, God is waiting for the one deemed worthy enough to open the scroll. God is waiting for the one deemed worthy enough to open the scroll. And as we go into this, some of you that may not be as familiar with the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is a vision that was given to John through Jesus Christ that would give a glimpse of what end times would look like. And many people get bogged down into what we're going to be talking about later on in the series about will we be here, will we won't be here. Let's talk about the dragon. Let's talk about the beast. Let's talk about the Antichrist. It's coming. I'm going to tell you it's coming. But what we need to focus on is what the focus of, of heaven is, the throne of God. And now the scroll of God, it says in verses one through three of Revelation chapter five, he says, then I saw a scroll or some translations say a book. I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne and there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Worthy is, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Folks, the most, the scroll is the most important document ever written. The scroll is the most important document ever written. And the thing is is that the scroll being in the right hand of God, anytime you see in scriptures where something is at the right hand, that is a position of prominence. It is a position of importance. In other words, this is something worthy of honor and something worthy of mentioning. And we know from studying history that Romans would place the seven seals on a will or a deed. In other words, so when we see this scroll... Let me explain it to you. It's a long scroll of rolled-up parchment paper, or the the stuff that they used to write on scrolls. Uh, s- some of it was papyrus. But anyway, they would write on this long scroll, and then they would tie seven different strings around it with knots, and each one of the strings would have a seal. And that seal, that encompassed what someone would do, was they would take hot wax, and they would put that hot wax on top of the knot. And then they would take their signet ring, which was their ring that had their symbol, and then they would put it on that hot wax. And so you knew that when you got that scroll, whose seal was on it. And then you would also know that no one could have tampered with it or opened even a part of it without messing with those seals. And so what we will see in Revelation is that different things are happening each time these scrolls or each time these seals are opened. And the thing is, is that when you would read a scroll, we always see in, in movies and television series and stuff that when they, the, the biblical character comes out and, or the, the kingly character comes out, this is the scroll and they read, they do this. And they start reading from it. That was not the way the scroll was read. The way the scroll was read, they may unroll it this way, but it was read from left to right. And it had columns. And so what they would do is that when they got to the end of a section, they would just roll. And they would keep rolling. And we see here in Scripture that it was not often that the back of the scroll was written on because you just it was... You would have to kind of reposition the whole thing to even be able to read that. But it wasn't uncommon because the reason there was so much written on the front and the back of the scroll is because there was so much God had written on it. There was a lot of information on that scroll. And so to have a scroll that included all of what God would want to say, it would be a lot of stuff. Some say that if even just a book of Revelation would have been written on a scroll, that scroll would have been 15 feet long. So for some of you, it would be as long as the pew that you're sitting in. So the next question is, is the Bible does not say what is on the scroll. We don't know exactly what is written there. And the thing is, is that I want you to understand if it were important enough for us to know what was written on it, Scripture would have told us. In maybe some ways, it's a good thing that it doesn't tell us what's on it, because if we knew what was on it, we would try to explain it and discount it and manipulate it and make it our own. We don't know what is on that scroll. But the thing is, is that only Jesus is worthy enough to open the scroll. Let's read verses uh, four through six. But before we do that. Remember in verse, verse 5 where it says, But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to open the scroll and read it. I don't know if they still make you read this, but somewhere between middle school and high school, we had to read the story of King Arthur. Y'all remember King Arthur? Anybody? Bobby! Awesome! Y'all don't know King Arthur? Oh, come on. Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table and all that kind of stuff. Y'all are just being shy this morning. But the truth of the matter is, I I remember we had to read that. And the thing was, was that if I remember correctly, now this has been quite some time ago, back when we were writing on uh, stone tablets and using chisels for our notebooks. Uh, We would actually study this story. And if I remember correctly, there was a magician named Merlin. And Merlin put this sword named Excalibur into a stone. Are y'all tracking with me or... Is Bobby and I the only one having this conversation? Okay. (laughs) All right. So what we see here is that this sword Excalibur was stuck in the stone and only the person worthy enough could pull the sword out of the stone. And whoever pulled the sword out of the stone would become the king of Camelot. And so there were these big, strong men, and they would try to pull this sword out to the point of breaking their wrists. They were so determined to get that sword out. And somehow, in a freak accident or or some weird chain of circumstances, this little teenage boy named Arthur came up and pulled the sword out of the stone and became King Arthur, the king of Camelot. He was the only one worthy enough to pull that sword Out of the stone. And I can't believe that nobody can remember that story. I guess I'm showing my age. But my point of that story was this. Is that just as there was only one person worthy enough to become king, there was only one person worthy enough to open the scroll. And check this out. It says in the scripture that no one above earth, under the earth, or on the earth was worthy enough to open the scroll. So there were slim pickings. It was sad that nobody could open this scroll. And then so as I share this, I lead up now to the future event that will take place as described by Jesus to the Apostle John. In verse four, it says, John says, then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And read it. Do you hear the despair? Do you feel the despair when you see that there is no one able to open the scroll? I've been in situations before where I realize that things are bleak and you don't know how things are going to, to come to fruition because you just can't see past the problem that you have right now. And the problem here that John is seeing is that there is a scroll in the hand of God that cannot be opened. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, the root of David, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Just for those of you that weren't here the the previous week where we were talking about the 24 elders, the 24 elders represent redeemed man. It represents those of us who believe in Christ like you and I who go to heaven and we are reigning with God. That is who the 24 elders are. So we see that Jesus proved himself worthy to break the seals and, the open, and open the scrolls. A moment, a moment ago I told you about the scroll and there were several theories about what was on the scroll. There were some that thought that the Old Testament and the New Testament Were written on the scroll. There were some that thought that some of the prophecies about Christ was written on that scroll. But let me tell you what. If the Old Testament or the New Testament was written on the scroll. It would not be on there. Why? Because it says no one is worthy to open the scroll. And you're opening scriptures right now as we study it. So really we know that that kind of document in Roman culture was like a will Or indeed, so many believe that this scroll is basically the last will and testament of God. In other words, this spells out everything, the whole plan that is going to happen. His will upon us, his will upon this earth, his will for you and I and for his son and what he lays out here in scripture. Why is Jesus the only one worthy? Because Jesus is the only one Who lived a perfect life. And some of you say, well, that's probably the reason that that I that I don't identify with Christ. I don't identify because I'm not perfect and there's nobody that's perfect. And I'm going to tell you what, there is one man that is perfect, that is Jesus Christ. And it's not because he wasn't tried and tempted in every way. You, my friend, whatever you're going through, whether it be pressure, whether it be doubt, whether it be despair, whether it be affliction, whether it be having your back stabbed by somebody, or whether it be people that don't love you, that should love you, Jesus was there. Jesus... His heart was broken. Jesus knew what it was like to be two-timed. Jesus knew what it was like to be despaired. But yet he lived a perfect life because he did not sin. He alone is worthy to open this scroll. We know this also because he is an heir to the throne of David. I know many of you are not Old Testament fans. Many of you, like when, when I say, okay, we're going to be in the Old Testament today, you're like... But I'm going to go ahead and tell you what. The Old Testament is filled with scriptures pointing towards Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is a thread in your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He is the subject. He is revealed. He is the illustration. He is the model. He is the mentor. He is the model that we are to aspire to. And He is all throughout the pages of God's word. And he has proved himself worthy. He is an heir of David's throne. Of which was promised the Messiah would come from. So we see in verse 6. Notice the elders. What did they see? They saw the lion of Judah. When you see the lion. It, normally in scriptures the lion is powerful. The, the, the master of all wild animals. And, and so there's there's a connotation of kind of like those Lion King fans, Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. You older people, I'll explain that later, or ask your grandchildren. But the truth of the matter is, is that we see, when John looked, he didn't see the Lion of Judah. It says, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But now it was standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. So, again, we're going back to chapter 4. You had to read chapter 4 to see about the elders and the living beings. And so now we're back there and it says, now this is the cool part. People are going to be going, now what does all this mean? Check this out. He had seven horns. This is a lamb. A lamb that had seven horns, seven eyes, which represent The sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Some of you are going, whoa, a lamb with seven horns, seven eyes, and the sevenfold spirit. What in the world does that mean? Well, let's look and see. In verse five, Jesus is a lamb that was slaughtered. In verse six, Jesus is the lion of Judah as a lamb Jesus was submissive to God's will to the point of being sacrificed for your sin and mine. We see time after time in the Old Testament that when they had sacrifices, you were to sacrifice the lamb and not go out, the lambs are us, and just buy one and say, here's my sacrifice. This was the lamb that was your family pet. This was the lamb that you fed. This was the lamb that you named. This was the lamb that, that you know, all of these things that, that you attribute to a pet, that was the sacrifice that you were supposed to make. Jesus is the lamb here, and it represents Jesus. And although the lamb looks dead, it's not a carcass. It is not roadkill. This lamb is alive, but it looks slaughtered. You still see the scar marks from where it was wounded for your sins and for mine. And you see this lamb and they are as fresh as the day it happened. Those wounds are And his sacrifice. What does this mean? His sacrifice does not need to be repeated. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all for your sin. He is still your sacrifice and mine. And then it says, Jesus is called the Lamb twenty-eight times in the book of Revelation. And this lamb that we see is not the Oh, poor Lamb. Poor little hurt lamb. It says, look at this lamb. This is one bad lamb. It has seven horns, seven eyes, and the sevenfold spirit on him. Now what does that mean? A horn. For an animal represented power and strength. Much like an ox or I think even bulls have them. Some of you that, that hang around animals. Um, you know that if that animal like an ox or a bull gets mad, you don't want to be on the horn end of that animal. You don't want to get gored or whatever else because that's where the power is at. Stay away from the horns, right? So we see the horns show power And then we see that the eyes, when you see the eyes in Scripture, it represents the knowledge. And then we see the sevenfold spirit. So here's what this verse means. If you take the alliteration and the illustration, this means that God is omnipotent. In other words, he is all powerful. The horns showing power. God is omnipotent. He is more powerful than who stormed the Capitol. He is more powerful than Black Lives Matters. He is more powerful than white supremacists. He is more powerful than Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi and all this stuff that we are so concerned with right now. He is all powerful above everybody. And it's about time the church realized that and started telling people. My faith is not in a politician. I will pray for them. I will pray for Joe Biden just as much as I prayed for Donald Trump, as much as I prayed for Obama, as much as I prayed for the Bushes, and as long as I can remember being able to pray for a president. Look, we voted. It may have gotten stolen. I don't know. But God knows and God is in control. we got to live in this earth. We've got to be salt and light. It's time to sit down, be quiet about politics, and proclaim the omnipotent, all powerful Jesus Christ. That is what we need to do. And I'm sorry, I got uh, excited about that. No, I'm not sorry about it. So we see the horns, meaning power. Then we see the eyes, the, the knowledge. And so God is all powerful. And then with the eyes we see that God is all knowing. And then when we look back in Revelation at the first part of Revelation, around Revelation 1 and 2, we see that the sevenfold spirit was another term for the Holy Spirit. So here we go. God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. God is omnipresent. He is all knowing and, or, excuse me, omniscient. He is all knowing and omnipresent, meaning that God is everywhere. That is what that means in the book of Revelation. And then as a lion, of course, we said a moment ago, as a lion, he has authority. He has power and he has dominion. Jesus defeated death and sin. And as a lion, Jesus will defeat Satan and send him to hell where he belongs. Don't take my word for it. If you want to read ahead, go to Revelation 19 and it spells that out. We serve a powerful living God. And it doesn't matter what the vote system does, what the political system does, or who builds the biggest bomb. At the end of the day, God is on top of everything. So let me just pause here to say that this is a clear picture of the gospel. All of these events that are unfolding illustrate the cost of your salvation, the sacrifice that was made for your salvation, and the love it took for God to offer you this salvation and to get the forgiveness of your sins. My friends, God's salvation is free, but it did not come cheap. Many today think they have power. Some try to take that power and many try to abuse it. But as crazy as this world seems to you and I, Revelation shows us that there is a specific order, a predetermined plan, and a choice that every one of you and I must make. Third thing, Jesus is worshipped for his holiness. We see in verse 7 through 13, he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings, all of heaven and the 24 elders, meaning redeemed man, fell down before the lamb. Each one had a a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Here, the elders are not mediators between God and man. They Only Jesus can do that. Here, they are basically just the messengers bringing your prayers to God in this gold bowl. And it says that there are harps there and that everyone is playing this harp. Many years ago, back when, uh, you know, this is my second reference to cartoons this morning. The other one was in Bible study. I guess that's what happens when you grow up watching cartoons, is that there was always these cheesy cartoons where There would be like this cartoon character playing a harp, going around clouds and stuff like that. And, you know, why is there always a harp? Well, this is where that came from. This is where that reference is, is that there would be a harp in heaven. It says everybody's got a harp. Now, I I love every one of you, but some of you are not very musically inclined. So I don't know if we having all these harps would be a pretty sound. It might sound like a sixth grade band concert rehearsal. And those are tough. But they're beautiful because they're your children. I understand. But the truth of the matter is, is that we, when we are in heaven, isn't it great to know that it says there is going to be a harp? It could have been a guitar. There's going to be guitars in heaven. I'm sorry, folks. There's going to be more than organs in heaven. There's going to be guitars. It's mentioned right here. And if you got a guitar, you're going to have to have a bass guitar. You're going to have to have a drum, I hope. Now, I don't know what that's going to sound like. I don't want to get off on worship and all that stuff. But I'm just saying that we need to get excited about music because music is going to be a part of our eternity. Whether you are musically inclined or not, one day you will be. But look at this. Your prayers are pleasing to God. Read it again. He, he places them in golden bowls with a sweet-smelling incense that brings him pleasure. Much like you walk into the Cracker Barrel. Or some artsy, prissy thrift store that has all these potpourris and candles and some of this stuff. Some of the women are going, oh, you got my attention. And look, I'll be a great husband. I'll take her to those stores. And maybe there's some of these guys that like that too. That's fine too. But what I'm saying is that just as you love walking into those stores or, or smelling a good thing of potpourri or, uh, just like yesterday, we were, we're trying to get, uh, Donna's mom's and dad's ready, house ready. And so we thought, I know what we'll do. So we went to the family dollar store. We spent 10 minutes trying to figure out which fragrance to pick. And so these little blade plugins, they got little scratch and sniffs. Where's it? You know, masked on and everything else. No telling how many other people sniff that thing. But we decided on apple cinnamon. So, I mean, what is better than apple cinnamon when you walk into a house and smell that? That thing will sell because of the apple cinnamon. But here's what I want you to see. Is that these prayers that you lift up to God, just like you love that smell of potpourri or apple cinnamon or whatever smell that is that you like. That pleasing aroma reaches God's nostrils and it pleases Him. But here's the thing. For there to be smoke, there has to be fire. Are your prayers of fire or are they just, meh? Look, I'm not saying you have to say the right words. I'm just saying that your heart has to be in it. And I've been, I have been convicted of not being the most prayerful person at times. Sometimes going, like going, sitting down to dinner and saying, A relatively similar prayer that I say every time I go to dinner. And Sometimes God will say, look, you didn't really mean that. Start over. Look, if you want your prayers to please God, put some fire in them, folks. Put some trust and put some love in them. And some of you saying, well, preacher, I'm doing all I can. Then I would say, then you can be rest assured that God smells, keeps, and treasures every one of those prayers says in verse nine, and they sang a new song, a new song, meaning an excellent song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused him to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Folks, it says right here that in eternity we will be priests. We won't be God, but we will be reigning with God. Verse eleven. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of a thousand and millions of angels around the throne and living beings and elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive the power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Isn't it amazing? Praise is contagious. Praise is contagious. We saw last week that the praise of the 24 elders and the living beings prompted us to pray. And now we see that the prayers of the 24 thrones and elders, which is us, prompted the living beings, the angelic living beings to be prayed. So there's going to be a lot of praise in heaven. I don't think this is like you got a feature. I don't know if some of you know this, that like if you're playing something on your your music app on your phone, you can hit like the, the shuffle button and it'll change. But you can also keep hitting it and it'll repeat that one track over and over and over again. Folks, there's going to be more in heaven than just singing a song. But what we see here, it's importance. It was important enough for God, through Jesus Christ, to show this to John so you could read it. And then it says, (coughs) excuse me. And then I, in verse 13, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. So in conclusion, I would say Jesus, his opening of the scroll demands our complete surrender. Notice in 14, verse 14, and the four living beings said, Amen. Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. It said, Amen, not a woman. Just for the record. Y'all heard that mess on the news two weeks ago. There was some so-called minister that ended the prayer of Congress with Amen and a woman. Amen has nothing to do with gender. It means so be it. We all agree to it. Keep this political stuff out of Scripture. It says... Again, and the four living beings said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders, which is redeemed man, which will be you and I, fell down and worshipped the Lamb. In chapter 4, we saw the angels prompting worship. And now here we see the elders that are prompting worship. I don't know about you, but when we see God in all of His glory... We can think we're pretty tough right now. Some of you are, are tough cookies to crack. I'll go ahead and tell you. You have hardened parts in your heart and you've already tuned me out. You've tuned God's word out. And that's okay. But one day you will see God for all he is and for who he is. And you, your first reaction, you won't even be able to control it. Just like blinking. You are going to fall to your knees. Because you are in the presence of a holy and mighty God. So the time to respond is now. Earthly kingdoms will come and earthly kingdoms will go. But the end result is this reality that we're studying right here. We must respond now in order to do the same for eternity. You see, when we realize the glorious future that awaits us, we will find strength to live in our present day. What do you need to lay out before God? In what areas do you need to submit or surrender? You do not control the world. I'm sorry to tell you this. We've got Praise the Lord, we've got some young folks in here today. It's so good to see every one of you. And I know right now you are Superman and Superwoman, Wonder Woman, Invincible, King of your own destiny, Queen of your own destiny. i you're you not. It happens to all of us. When we're sitting there in our room... Lights are off, ceiling fans on, and it's just us and God. We realize how finite we are. And I'm here to tell you, God loves you whether you're young, old, or in between. He's got a plan for your life. And there is a plan for us after this life is over. That's why we need to accept Jesus. Because only He is the one that can open the scroll. So the time to respond is now. You do not control the world, but you can control your response to God before this scroll is opened. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for your word. I thank you for those that are here. And I thank you for those that are watching by Facebook Live, Lord. And it is my prayer that as we have opened this word and we have studied it, that we leave this place not in fear of what's going to happen to next, but be in fear that we're not responding to you when you give us an opportunity to. Because all of the stuff that we debate on our social media feeds and at restaurants and hanging out with our friends mean nothing. And it's just chaff that will be blown in the wind and burned away at the end. What matters is what we do with your son, Jesus Christ, the only one that is worthy enough to open this scroll. And so it is my prayer if there's anyone in here in this sanctuary or watching this video that does not know for sure that their faith is in you. Maybe their faith is placed in their news feeds. Maybe their faith is placed in their friends. Maybe their faith is placed in their family. But everyone and everything will let us down eventually instead of Jesus Christ who never Never ever let us down, nor will he ever, because he is the one that is worthy to open the scroll. (laughs) If there is someone that needs forgiveness, that is tired of trying to run their life on their own, they've been control freaks for their own life, and they can't do that anymore, and they're ready to surrender to you, may today be the day that they say, it's no longer my world, but it's Jesus' world, and I'm going to live in it and trust him. Maybe there's somebody here today that is really torn out of frame at the state of what our world is in. My friend, it does get better, but make sure your faith is in Jesus Christ. May we pray for those that are searching and share with those the love of Christ that need to hear it. If there's anyone here today that needs to respond, may they not leave this place before they talk with me or a friend or their own pastor and get that right today. Because we don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.